Wonderful. Let's take our Bibles this evening. Let's go to Galatians, all right? Galatians chapter 5 is where we'll be. Galatians chapter 5. And uh, for those that hadn't been in here for a little while because you've been with the teens or with the, uh, the kids, uh, just know been in Galatians for some time. And keep in mind this little book of the Bible was written by Paul to the, the individuals in Galatia, the Christians and churches in Galatia, because they were facing some great... Um, discouragement and facing some great chaos because Judaizers had come to this area and region of the world to spread their false gospel. And it was a false gospel of adding works to the finished work of Christ. And Paul had had enough of that. And so he sat down to defend the true gospel of Christ that it is, it is by grace through faith in Lord Jesus Christ plus nothing minus nothing. And so it should settle our faith that our salvation is in the Lord. All right? And so that's what this little book is, is all about. But as we come back to it this evening in Galatians chapter 5, we'll be finishing up this chapter together. And as many of you know, we've been looking into the phrase we found in verse number 16, where it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And this is a mighty verse that we all need to apply and obey in our lives. And as we consider in this verse, uh, we've taken some elements and some verses surrounding this verse and to help us, all right, to walk in the Spirit. And just by way of remembrance, as we come back to this, uh, keep in mind we first took note of that this verse, this phrase, is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a verse to dissect and debate. Rather, it's a command to live by. You and I are to walk in the Spirit. Are you obeying this verse? Walk in the Spirit. Then we've seen there's a conflict. As we try to walk in the Spirit, as we begin to do so, we find a conflict. Conflict between the sinful nature we were born with, that is the flesh, and the Holy Spirit we were born again by. And every born-again believer has this conflict, has this battle between the flesh and the Spirit. Even the Apostle Paul himself struggled with this in Romans chapter number 7 as he gives testimony to that fact. And then as we moved on, we began to see the crop or cluster of fruit as we considered walking in the Spirit. And it's from this point, though, that we saw and took, uh, took note of two clusters of fruit. And the first one was this, the works of the flesh. And they're listed in verses 19 through 21. We won't take time to read them tonight. We've been through them several times already. But uh, they're listed for us in verses 19 through 21. But these, these, this fruit or these works is a, a rotten fruit. It's rotten works. It's nasty. It's repulsive. And it can be absolutely dangerous and destructive. But this is the fruit or the work of the natural outpouring of our flesh. And every single one of us is capable of producing this crop, all right, or this, or this fruit, especially if we allow ourselves to go unchecked and allow ourselves to be controlled by the flesh, this kind of fruit we'll have. But we began to see another one, and that was the fruit of the Spirit. And this is the good fruit, the desirable fruit that we all want. But look at it again with me. I think it's, it's always good to read about this fruit. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. As you read this list of fruit or elements of the fruit 
of the Spirit. This is a very sweet fruit that every one of us would want. I mean, who wouldn't want love and joy and peace in their life? Everyone would want that. But how does it come? Well, it comes as a fruit of the Spirit. How do you get that? As you walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. But as we finish up this chapter, and by the way, what I gave you is the very, very, very condensed portion of a very, very large message that I've been diving into and dissecting over the past couple of months, all right? But as we finish up this chapter, and we come to the end of chapter number five, we come to this last major point of the message, and that's the conclusion of walking in the Spirit. And what is Paul trying to get us to understand uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he draws this chapter to a conclusion. Well, look at it again with me in verse number 24. The Bible says this, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It says it again twice in the same chapter. Walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. The last time as we considered this uh, point, as we looked into the conclusion of walking in the Spirit, we, we noticed this first thing, to keep walking in the Spirit. What is Paul trying to tell us and encourage us and, and uh, uh, let us know as he concludes? Well, he says, keep walking. Keep walking in the Spirit, meaning this, keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God. Just as when you were a kid, when you were walking in the snow trying to stay in the footprints of your parents in front of you, that's what it means to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God. Step where He steps. Go where He goes. We are to keep living our life by the Spirit of God. Keep following Him every single day. Not just when we come to church. Not just when we meet together together. But keep in step every single day. But how do we do that? Well, quickly remember, we do it with a few simple steps. It's through the Word of God, in obedience to it, and through prayer. Being in step with the Lord, it will involve those three things. The Word of God, obeying the Word of God, and praying. That's how we keep in step with the Lord. And yes, it is hard sometimes, because when God leads us sometimes, it goes against our flesh, does it not? And sometimes he leads us out of our comfort zone, if I can say it that way. Um, anybody ever, like me have been led out of your comfort zone as you follow the Lord? Yeah, uh, me too. Hello, I'm pastoring and preaching. That was not on my agenda when I graduated high school, all right? And uh, I always told the Lord, I said, Lord, even after Bible college, surrender to preach, Lord, I'll do anything but uh, work with teenagers. Did that for nine years. And then I enjoyed that so much, I said, Lord, I'll do anything but pastor. Here we are. And then after that, here's what I'm saying now. Lord, I know I'll never be a millionaire. Amen. In any way. But sometimes God leads you out of your comfort zone. But but keep in step with the Lord. All right? Stay in step with Him. Okay. So as we conclude this chapter, as Paul is telling us in a conclusion, what is he telling us to do? Well, keep walking in the Spirit. Then number two, keep the weeds out. All right? Keep the weeds out. Let me ask you a question this evening as we dive into the message for tonight. Anyone here, you, you like to garden? You have a garden? You keep it about every year? You like, you like to garden? Let me see your hands. Oh, there's a few of you. 
I like the garden as well. I do. I enjoy fresh vegetables out of the garden. I like sweet corn. I really do. It's really good. Uh, Silver Queen's pretty good. I like the, the bicolor as well, as long as it's sweet corn. You know, it's really, I like that. I like fresh tomatoes out of the garden, especially the Tommy Toe tomatoes, the orange ones. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A lot of times they don't make it to the kitchen. Uh, they get eaten before you get back to the house. Uh, I like uh, fresh squash and fresh zucchini. I like fresh okra, especially when it's fried. Amen. Uh, but I like fresh vegetables. Tell me, what do you like out of the garden? Someone tell me. And please don't say beets. Uh, cabbage. Okay. I heard something else. Corn, beans, peppers, onions. All right. What? That one? What else? Cucumbers. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love cucumbers. Uh, my daughter didn't know that's where pickles came from. But anyway. Anybody else? Comes to mind. Well, I like fresh vegetables. I, I do. I enjoy a good garden. But you know what I hate about a good garden? <sighs> weeds. And it seems like when I grow a garden, I'm really good at growing weeds. I really am. I ain't got to do nothing to grow weeds. They just come up all the time. And it seems like I always got to pull them up just about every single day. You know, you can go out to your garden and absolutely make it immaculate. Pull every little weed out of your garden. Go on vacation. You're just gone five days, maybe a full week. You come back, it is slapped full of weeds. And they're bigger and stronger than the very vegetables you're trying to grow. I'm good at that. I can grow some weeds. But that's what I hate about the garden is the weeds. But why does that happen? Why do weeds come up? Well, it's part of the curse. The Bible says in Genesis chapter number 3, verse 17 through 19, And unto Adam he said, God said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and also, and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, from dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So thorns and thistles, that's weeds, they came about in our nice gardens at the fall of mankind. They'll be there until we die. They'll be there until Jesus comes back. Why? Because of the fall of man. Part of the curse. But you know what else took place at the fall of man? Our inherited sinful nature, our flesh. We've talked about that before. But this is something else we will deal with. All of us will deal with till Jesus comes back or until we die. We will be dealing with our dirty, rotten Flesh And out of that can grow some very nasty weeds. Now what kind of weeds are we talking about here? Well, we've already discussed, we're not going to go back to it and look at it, we've already discussed the works of the flesh found in verses 19 through 21. But as we conclude here, in the context of Galatians chapter 5, Paul is mentioning some more, but he gives really more of an overall root to those fruit of weeds. Instead of just pointing out exact fruit, it's given kind of an overall root of things. 
And if you want to get rid of, rid of certain fruit in your life, you're going to have to, you're going to have to, listen, you're going to have to deal with the root. Or you're always going to be dealing with the fruit of the problem. So we've got to pull up some, some weeds. We've got to pull them up by the root. But in context of the end of Galatians chapter 5, we can see some weeds, and then we'll notice the fruit, I'm sorry, the root of those weeds. All right, but look at these words in verse number 26. All right, verse number 26, it says, Let us not be desirous of vainglory, circle that word, or provoking, circle that word, one another, envying, circle that word, one another. So vainglory, provoking, and envying. Okay, what are these words? Vainglory, it means this. It means to be self-conceited. It's trying to bring attention to yourself. Trying to get glory to yourself, which is empty. Hence, vain glory. It's empty glory. That's what vain glory is. And then you see the word provoking one another. What does this mean? It means to call forth to oneself. As in a challenge or combat or a fight, almost kind of get the picture as you're calling someone out to fight you in a boxing match or a boxing ring for everybody to see who's the toughest of them all, right? But to call somebody out. And then to envying one another. This simply means to be jealous of, to be jealous of one another. And it would seem even the Judaizers in the context, overall context of Galatians, the Judaizers were even jealous of the freedom and liberty that these Galatian believers had in the Lord, but they were envious one of another. But when you take all these words and you kind of see their definitions, you put these phrases together, vainglory, provoking, envying one another, you know where they kind of stem from? It's a deep root that we all can have in our life. It's pride. I'm telling you, this root of pride is so deep it can be so deep in each one of our lives. I'm going to tell you, if not ripped up, if not pulled up, this weed, this root is not pulled up, I'm telling you, it's dangerous. It's highly, highly dangerous. You can see a lot of fruit from this root. We went recently went through the life of Jonah, and we saw in the last chapter that Jonah was a very angry man. But do you remember why he was angry? Why he was always so angry, it seemed, even at God, but especially at the people of, of Nineveh. And the Bible says this in Jonah 4, verse 1 through 3, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. We know that Jonah, in this context, in that text there in Jonah, he was so horrendously angry, he didn't want to live any longer. But he was so mad that he saw that grace was offered and given to the Ninevites. He didn't want them to have any kind of grace. He didn't want them to receive any kind of mercy. He wanted only to see them suffer the very wrath of God. He was so very angry. But why? Where did that stem from? What was the root uh, that this fruit of anger was, was springing up from? Well, again, if you look in Jonah chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, you'll find this. 
you'll find ten personal pronouns referring back to Jonah himself. Ten of them in two verses. So that tells me that Jonah was very self-focused. He was focused on his people, on his country, on himself. And so he was so focused on himself, he could not, very, could not see the very heart of God for the people of Nineveh. And that's why he got so angry. Why? Because of his stinking pride. It blinded him to the very love and heartbeat of God. Pride. Of course, we've seen this one before, but what made, what made the devil the devil? The Bible says that Lucifer was a very beautiful creation. creation. The Bible says in Ezekiel 28, 13 through 15, Thou hast been in the Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold. The workmanship of thy tabernacles and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou wast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in all thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. But what was that iniquity? Well, the Bible says, and Isaiah tells us what it was. In Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 14, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou didst say in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt thy throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Understand it was pride that made one of the most beautiful created beings ever into the absolute demonic monster. And what is it that causes the fusses and fights and more in our very lives even today? What causes the fusses and fights at home? What is it that happens the fusses and fights and divisions even among believers today? What causes that? James 1.4 From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members? Where do they come from? Proverbs 13.10 Only by pride cometh contentions. So if there's contentions, if there's fightings, if there's feudings, it's going to come. Why? There's somewhere along the line, there's a root of pride that's springing up causing all these other things. And we can list fruit after fruit that come from this root of pride. And this root listen, has a very strong hold in many people's lives Today, it's caused so much damage, destroyed so many lives, and it has destroyed so many marriages and caused so much, uh, so much carnage. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction. If there's destruction, what came before it? It was pride and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is such a destructive root, but yet so many times it goes undetected and unchecked. But it needs to be plucked up. Would you agree with me? It needs to be plucked up. Yes? All right. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, I believe that taking care of the root of pride is found in the antonym of the word. The opposite of pride. It's found there. What is the opposite of pride? It starts with an H, ends with humility. 
So it's humility. That's right. Being humble. Humble. Humility. That's the absolute opposite of pride. And that's where you're going to find how you pluck it up. You pluck up the root of pride when we humble ourselves and submit ourselves to the Lord. Listen to James in that same chapter when he said, where do wars and fightings come among you? He says and gives the answer how to solve those problems when he says in James chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resist the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 7, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, unto the mighty hand of God that may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I believe that James and Peter both knew very personally what it meant to allow pride in their life and see the fruit of it, the destruction that it can even cause, especially when no Peter or studying his life will we'll continue doing that on Sunday mornings. But remember what he said to Jesus one day in Matthew 26, verse 31 through 35. He said this, Then said Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet I will never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, That this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. He said, Look, even if everybody forsakes you, I will never do that. He said, I will go even unto death for you. Yet it was Peter who denied the Lord. Not once, not twice, but three times. Denied the Lord Jesus and forsook him. Why? There's a root there. Root of pride. Pride is a terrible root that can lead to all kinds of terrible fruit. But to overcome it, we must. You do it. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. We must do it for ourselves. Humble ourselves and submit willingly fully and completely to the lord and by the way when we submit to our great god we're not submitting to an abusive dictator but rather we're submitting to a loving heavenly father who has our absolute best interest in mind and his fact and his truth should cause you and i to humble ourselves and willingly give and submit ourselves to our great God. So you want to overcome the pride, the root of pride in your life is going to come when you humble, humble yourself. So pluck that root up before you see any more fruit and just simply humble yourself. Recently talking with a friend, even again, even today, about some action that took against him. It was very wrong. He was in, he was, he was wrong terribly, absolutely terribly. But instead of getting even, instead of taking action, even legal action, he submitted himself to the Lord and humbled himself 
And through that, not allowing pride to have a nasty way in his life, giving the devil a foothold in his life. And here, here months later now, he is seeing even God get great glory through him being humble and submissive to the Lord. Now, I'm telling you, what, what he went through was horrible. I'm talking bad, all right? But as he submitted and humbled himself to God, not allowing pride to rear its ugly head and destroy everything around him. Though he, he might have been, at least in our, our human eyes, in the right, nothing good would have come of it. But through humility, much good has come and will continue to come because of it. I'm telling you, don't allow the root of pride to do any more destruction in your life. Pluck it up. Keep the weeds out. So what are we, what are we to do as we conclude chapter 5 in Galatians? We'll keep walking in step with the Lord. Keep the weeds out. And lastly and thirdly and quickly, remember why. Remember why. The why of what? Well, the why of why we walk in the Spirit, which produces the good fruit of the Spirit. We don't do all of that just for us. We're, we get benefits of it. Yeah, oh yeah. Others do too. But the primary reason we do what we do, it should be for this reason, for the glory of God. I want to read a passage of Scripture to you quickly. And uh, it's going to be in John chapter 15. If you want to put that in the margin of your Bible, you can. If you want to go there, you can. But John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. I want to read this to you. Jesus said, I am the true vine. My Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it. Why? That it might bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean to the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except that abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him the same, bringeth forth much fruit. For without me can do nothing. If you abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me... My words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Listen to this. Already four times he has mentioned fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. He's talking about fruit here. But listen to this, the very, the very verse number 8, the very end of that. He says this, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Listen, the Lord wants us to bear fruit. We're not going to do that on our own. We're going to do it as we abide in Him, as we walk in the Spirit, as we're in step with God, as we abide in the Lord. We will bear fruit. It's going to happen. It will happen. And as we do that, guess who gets great glory? God does. God gets glory from the fruit. He is glorified through much fruit, and that's why we do it. Not, not just because it's for us or not because it's for somebody else. Yes, those are kind of byproducts, but the main reason, the main goal is always for the glory of God. Always. So why do we do what we do? Well, it's for the Lord. It's for the Lord. It's for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. 
That's what I want to keep on the forefront of my mind. I, I pray that often, even try to pray it publicly and out loud, even to, to us as a church, so we can keep that in the forefront of our minds. It's for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel. That's why. So remember the why. As we conclude in Galatians 5, keep walking. Get, keep the weeds out. Get the weeds out. But remember why we do what we do. It's for the glory of God and for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm asking God to help us to glorify Him through our lives as we walk in the Spirit. As we walk in the Spirit. Because listen, as you keep in step with the Lord, and you walk in the Spirit, you will glorify Him. You won't be glorifying yourself, but it'll be all for Him. So that's why we do what we do. So keep that in mind. As we move forward in life, and as we move forward in Galatians, we'll go to Galatians chapter 6 next week. And some of you may be very glad about that, coming to a close in Galatians. We've been looking at it for almost a year now. If you are glad about that, don't tell me. All right? But anyway, I hope this has been a help to you. It's been an encouragement to me, looking at walking in the Spirit. It's something we all need every single day of our life. And a lot of these things we face in our lives with with uh, uh, one another and, and disputes and whatever. If we just walk in the Spirit, they take care of themselves. They really would. Walk in 